What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> that was a, that was a sand. They call it sand dike, and that other is sand island. Yeah, so I know sand island's called yeah. that. Well, let's get started. Cool. I'm Chase Winnegar, host of the podcast. Lee McClellan, co-host. Hope everyone's doing as well as we were yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's what that's what we're going to talk about first thing. So Lee, uh, just to set it up, yesterday we went down to the Ohio River. We fished uh, the the falls. Mm -hmm. Me, you, and Paul Wilkes. And uh, that was your first time fishing in the area that we were fishing. I fished the Upper Falls lots of times, but yeah, not down there. We were at the Lower yesterday. So, in a nutshell, what did you think about it? Well, it was really unique because, um, you know, you're right there, and there's that water control structure that's just releasing that water. So, it's right. like you're fishing beside, like, Niagara Falls almost. Yeah. It gives you that feeling. The sound, the roar, and all that. But, yeah. I mean... I think the second cast, didn't you catch one? Yeah. I think there was, <laughs> so it was game on. And, uh, you know, I had my camera. I was like, Ooh, <laughs> about 45 minutes, it was like a, a hot potato. No, you know? we, uh, yeah, we walked down there. And, of course, you were taking some photos. And I caught one. Paul caught one. You took some pictures. I caught one. Paul caught one. You took some pictures. And then by the time we caught three apiece, we were like, Lee, put your camera down and get over here. You got to catch some fish. Yeah, and I, I did. I applaud you for how much you were willing to work and not fish at the beginning. Well, I mean, well, you know, you and I have been on this many a times. Yeah. Uh, get 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 your money shots. Yeah. Then you can chill. Yeah. But if you overfish and then you're panicking because you're like, yeah. I had all those good pictures this morning. I farted around and then yeah. here we are. You know. Yeah. So you get your money shots that you can relax and fish. Uh, well, so once you started fishing a little bit too, we were shooting for a triple. Mm -hmm. And I think, I we, think we had one on, but we didn't land all three at the we, same time, we had, right? We had two on. And each time we were all three hooked up at the same time, somebody, I think was I think your line might've broke one time mm -hmm. and another time I just had one get off. Um, but I mean, in a nutshell, what's the fishing like? Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, I, was, I wrote my notes down this morning. Um, is likely the highest percentage spot for large hybrids in Kentucky, don't you think? Uh, I mean, don't I, know what would be better. Well, I mean, I have spent uh, anybody, uh, you know, any of us who've trolled, I've trolled uh, Harrington a million times, even Gist Creek. I fished for them at Taylorsville. And man, you know, if you caught an 18 to 20 inch, you're like, wow, you know, we yeah. were throwing those back like they were bluegill. Yeah. <laughs> After about an hour of that. Yeah, just toss them back. I in. mean, you know, they were all, I mean, your average fish there is 19, 20 inches, don't you think? I mean, your average fish, five, six pounds. Probably. Like. I mean, this time of year, especially. And, you know, I had, so before I got ready for this, I jotted down a couple of things because I get messages sometimes. People are asking me, they I want to go fish the falls. I've never been there. And there's a couple of common questions that people ask. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about that spot being the best high percentage spot for, for big hybrids right now. That's probably true. But two months ago, it was somewhere else down there. Yeah. And two months before that, it was somewhere else. So, you know, where water level dictates a lot, doesn't it? And the water level changes so much down there that it's all, it's constantly changing. And within that magic mile of river, that's what they call it, the magic mile. At some point in the year, every spot is going to be the best spot. And it's just right now that happens to be it. But earlier in April, when I was there, it was you know right up there against the the upper dam. Mm -hmm. You know, so I wanted to kind of talk about that a little bit. But when you all filmed the segment with Chad, yeah, and Chad were waiting, yeah, yeah. Wh where was that? Yeah, I was right at the upper. Okay. Earlier in the uh, earlier in the year, see, it's all about water level. And did y'all boat in or did you walk? Boated in. Okay. I didn't go on that trip, but I, I mean, that's the exact same spot that I was fishing at the exact same time. And um, 
Yeah, so I wanted to ask you what you thought about it. What's your? You oh, know, it was awesome. I mean, it's one know. of my better days of the year. I talked to Dave yesterday afternoon. We had a meeting, and he said when you got back to the office, he said uh, he could barely understand you. You were talking so fast about. <laughs> <laughs> about. Well, yeah, and then I downloaded my pictures, and we got a new camera. We're going to have to do a little manipulation on it because I had a wrong setting. When you say manipulation, it's not going to be to make the fish look bigger. No, it's just because the white balance yeah. was set wrong. This is a yeah. brand new camera. It's really expensive. It's got, but the, once we get that right, but the composition and just got a couple of you holding a fish, you're, you're silhouetted against yeah. that just roaring water. Yeah. I mean, it looks... And we have beautiful light. They just yeah. once we get them right, they're going to look just the, gorgeous. The scenery down there is about as good as it gets. Oh, I mean, you could probably find something prettier, but I mm -hmm. mean, with that dam next to you, it's just it's kind of it makes you feel small in a way. Yeah, it does. And um, then you're catching those big fish, and they're ripping drag, and you can see them too. I can you can see the fish ripping through there early yeah. in the morning. Yeah. But you know, by nine o'clock, they were kind of done for a while. Yeah. Well, as sun pops up, they they just. They go down a little deeper. They they slow down on the bite a little bit. I mean, it's really that twilight hour in the morning and the evening. And then I told you while we were out there that somebody had told me that there was a lunchtime bite. Mm -hmm. And Paul said, I think they might have been pulling your leg on that one. But, I mean, you got to admit, right there, right on our way out, we pulled back up and took, what, 10 more casts and mm -hmm. caught four more fish mm -hmm. pretty quick. And that was right at lunchtime. So. That last one I caught was a nice one on your rod. Yeah. So... Now that you've uh, done it in that area, I know you've I know you fished that area a lot before. But now, now that you've done that and fished the the lower dam, uh, what did you say you learned from it? Like, well, I, that's that's uh, some of my notes I've, I've written down. One thing is, um, you know, I'm some people love braid. Some people have an ambivalent relationship with braid. I'm in the latter category, but in that situation, the braid is the way to go. Yeah, and that's one of my notes I had written down. I'll tell you what, I'll run through these real quick and because and, some of these might hit on your points too. I'd say the three most common questions I get are, where do I fish down there? Mm -hmm. uh, what's the rod and reel setup that's right? And then what baits to use? And uh, I'll, I'll just go straight to rod and reel because that's what you were talking about with the braid. Mm -hmm. I like a medium or a medium heavy spinning rod and I said 10 to 30 pound braid. Mm -hmm. And then why is braid important? So yesterday, why, why did you think braid was well, important? Well, you know, that's interesting because Dave Drees met up with me in the parking lot Word must have got out, the Twitter thing or whatever, because everybody's coming up, y'all had a great day yesterday. I mean, people I haven't seen or talked to all yeah. have come up and been talking about it. Yeah. So Dave's like, how many y'all catch? You know, so I was telling him, and he said, well, one of the things down there, too, is there's a lot of zebra mussels. Mm -hmm. And if that, I think that could have happened, but a couple of times, that, you know, I was using 12-pound floral blend. Yeah. And uh, there was a few that just... Cut you up. And, um, but he said, Lee, those zebra mussels down there could put you know, the kibosh well, on even braid. Not just that, but there's, uh, there's uh, like you said, zebra mussels, there's rocks. And another thing about braid is uh, in that heavy current, since it's a thinner line, it mm -hmm. catches less current. Yes. So you get a better direct connection and, and, to your bait. And you never got, did you ever get hung on the bottom and lose anything? I never lost one. I got hung, but I never lost one. You never lost bait. one, did you? Well, I take that back. When we went up there and we were fishing shallow, I might Well, yeah, yeah, but I mean, where, where the prime spot was, you never did lose a head, did you? No, I never lost anything. So I like 10 to 30 pound braid. Like you said, braid's just a lot more durable. And with those rocks and mussels, that's important. Mm -hmm. And then being thinner, it cuts through that heavy current better. Yeah, it does. So you don't have to worry as much about your line catching water. And then blowing out of the strike zone. Yeah, so you get a more, you can stay in the strike zone longer and you get a more direct hookup. Mm -hmm. You know, when you set, if you're, if you're using mono or fluoro, you might have a lot of bend in your line mm -hmm. because of the current. And then when you go to set the hook, you got all that slack in there you're trying to take up. And uh, that braid just gives you so much better, a, a much better hookup rate. Mm -hmm. 
And fighting uh, fish on braid's fun too. Yeah, I mean you can really feel it because there's yeah. no stretch. It puts it no stretch at all, and it's I mean when they take off, it's right there in your hands. You mm -hmm. know, all that power of the fish is going straight to your hand immediately. Yes, I could so, feel that when I was caught that one on your rod. So um, the other th so rod and reel setup: medium or medium heavy spinning rod with ten to thirty pound braid. I would That's my gear favorite. more toward medium heavy for that current and for those hybrids, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would, but a medium rod if that, if that's what somebody has, a medium rod works. Yeah, it'll fine still too. work. Yeah, that's what well, I took Kristen down there last weekend, and she, I started her off with a medium heavy rod, and then uh, she actually got got spooled by one and didn't have any line on it, so she picked up her medium rod and she was doing just fine on it. So. You might have to play What's the fish. spooler, you think? A hybrid? Uh, well, when I say it's spooler, I had used a backing. I had a, 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 like a 50-pound braid backing taking up some of the spool and an Albright knot. So, I mean, it had to, she was casting a long bomb cast out there in that, and something grabbed a hold and just started ripping drag and got down to the backing, and it snapped the knot. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so it had to be a hybrid or a true. Maybe a blue. I mean, we caught two blues mm -hmm. yesterday, too. One of the pictures of, of the blue and the hybrid, you're laughing your head off. It's a great photo. I'm laughing because I said I'm going to get destroyed for this <laughs> by the hybrid guys. They're going to make fun of me. It's good. It's it's uh, your your secret safe with me, brother. Yeah. But it, it's a it's a good photo. Don't put that one in the magazine. No, I'll, I'll 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 work on it. So we went rod and reel setup lures to use. Um, yesterday we were throwing flukes and swim baits. Yeah. Pretty much white ones, about four or five inches long. Um, I tried white and chartreuse and did not get a hit. Hit. I tried blue, white, and chartreuse. Didn't get it. I caught a drum on a blue, on a white and chartreuse, but it's, basically what you're trying to do is match the food source that they're already eating. And we saw them puking them up and everything. Yeah, when we were catching fish, they were they were burping up shad, and you can pretty much always count on shad being a food source. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many of them in that river, and especially in those areas. So something that imitates a shad is the way to go, and that's what we're doing with flukes and swim baits. And people say, oh, a rattle trap or a crankbait. Well, the problem with those are those hooks on the bottom and those rocks. The same same reason you want to use braid instead of a mono or a mm -hmm. flora mm -hmm. is when you're throwing anything with more than one hook, you're just multiplying your chances of getting hung up. No doubt. And that's a so that's why I wouldn't suggest throwing. I mean, there are some really good imitators that are crankbaits. And, and those hybrids, I forgot, they wiggle like crazy. Oh, when you get them in. Yes, and yeah. dealing with like especially with a, a lure that has three trebles on there, you're you're asking for trouble unless you just use a fish grabber and you can pop it. But if you're hand grabbing them single hook i don't know that i've thrown anything with more than one hook and the hybrids hit so hard and aggressively that they're yeah. going to get the hook yeah it's not like you need six chances at them because they're going to get the hook no doubt so um for the most part swim baits or uh flukes i call them out on a five inch pearl and silver that's, that's what i like is five inch um as far as the weight goes you really got to vary it with the flow where you're fishing a half ounce two Worked an ounce yeah. sometimes i'm fishing quarter ounce sometimes. but i caught that last one on your one ounce head yeah one ounce i like the one ounce heads um, but at certain times of year, there'll be hatches like the drum hatch that took place kind of like midsummer, I'm wanting to say. And when you go down there, the water's clear enough that you can just kind of look around and you, you might see shad popping on the surface and you can say, okay, shad's probably the food source. Or if you look down and you see a schools of little, you know, baby drum or, or minnows, you can say, okay, well, that's probably the food source. And then you can just vary your presentation up to get as close to that as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. that, that's what I'd say. Um, a lot of people like topwater too. I personally don't throw a lot of topwater down there, but that's, I mean, probably the most fun way to catch them if you can. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people go down there. I think Paul yesterday even started off with a, a redfin. Yeah. 
He uh, did. He said, I love catching them on top, but I, he didn't get a hit on it. I know up top towards the upper in the spring, uh, a lot of people like to throw uh, czar spooks or mm -hmm. uh, some kind of walk the dog style stick bait. So top water baits work well too. Third question I had here was where do where do I fish for them? Where should mm -hmm. I go? Because like I said, it's a mile long stretch of river, mm -hmm. you know. And in early spring, water levels are a lot higher, and the upper the upper end is is where the fish are going to be at. Say in spring, how high would it have been where we were fishing comparative to what we saw yesterday? Oh, it's way up. I mean, fifteen. Could you even stand on that little where we where we bank fished? Is that underwater? Oh, it'd be underwater. Yeah. So. In the spring, you're really you're going up towards the upper dam, and you're it's more walk-in access. Or if you have a boat, you can boat up there. But when the water's way up, I mean they're basically wanting to push as far up river as they can and be in moving water because these are fish that just love the moving water. Mm -hmm. So um, in the early spring, when water's coming out of the upper dam, and the water's up anyway, they'll push all the way up there, and they'll be as close to those upper gates as they can be or they'll be in the chutes and streams that are coming off of it, you know, pushed up into those little channels. And then through the summer, the water gets lower and lower and lower. And then you kind of start, stop going to the upper dam and you're fishing those chutes and little channels and, and areas that weave through between the upper and the, and the lower dam. And then this time of year, the upper is completely shut off and there's not a whole lot of water up there. They're stacked up at the lower. So basically as you go through the year from early to late, they just move downstream from one dam to the other. And I would say, look for moving water. And there's no water that's moving too fast for those fish. Mm -hmm. I mean, you might look at something and say, there's no way they're in there. That's probably where they're at. Well, I was surprised. You're like, Lee, throw right in there. I was throwing beyond the super frothy water, yeah. thinking, well, I'll get hung in there and there won't be anything yeah. in there. Those casts didn't result in the good until I threw it like pretty much right in it. If you threw too much in there, it would get, like you were saying, it'll get hung yeah. in there and it won't go downstream. Yeah. yeah. So there's a little bit of a, of a magic area, but just into that froth, just the downstream end of it is where, boink. The hybrids kind of seem to want to hang out on uh, areas, like they want to be as close to the, the fastest moving water they can be, but they usually want to sit out of, the, out of the current somehow. So like where we were fishing yesterday, we had all this water coming through just extremely fast. Mm -hmm. And then on the very edge of that was a little bit, you could tell the water wasn't quite as turbulent. That's where I was thinking they were going to be. So I would cast across into that heavy moving water, and then as my bait would drift out into that calmer water, usually right when I got to that break was where I was expecting to find the fish. And earlier in the year when I'm fishing the upper, fishing the in-between sections, I'll look for drops or uh, boulders or something like that where the water's rushing around them, and then usually there's a pocket on the backside of the, the mm -hmm. boulder, the drop, usually that pocket's a spot. So, you know, it's kind of like you're looking for the fastest moving water you can, and then something that's different about it. So you're looking for a break in that rapid water, you're looking for any kind of cover in that rapid water, and that, that's where they seem to want to be. I threw off to the side thinking, well, maybe they'll be on the seam, current seam in the edge. Mm -hmm. I didn't get a hit any of those. Well, see, that's you catch fish over there in those areas, but they aren't hybrids. You catch a uh, sauger or drum mm -hmm. or catfish or other, other species over there. And a lot of fish feed on shad, so if you can find where the hybrids are stacked up or where the bait fish are stacked up, you're going to find other fish too. Yeah. You know, that's why we were catching blues. Mm -hmm. And I got a feeling I might have caught hey, those. Drum. I might have caught those two blues yesterday and you guys didn't catch any because I was using a one ounce head and you were using a half ounce. So maybe yeah. I was just getting down deeper. Yes. But I mean, the point is, I mean, a lot of stuff will work down there. I mean, 
There is no doubt when a hybrid hits it. I no. mean, there's, it's not like they go pick, pick, pick. I mean, wham. Well, they they hit the bait to try to stun it, and then they Come bite back it. and hit it again. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really you almost get double tapped. And after you've got you catch the first one, you you're kind of you kind of think about it, and then you know after you've caught a bunch of them, you know a hybrid bite because it you'll your rod will get hit, and then a half second later, quarter second later, I don't know how long it is, but it wham. just it they try to take it out of your hand. That's why I love catching them. It's a it's a a different strike and a different fight than pretty much any other fish in the oh, state. They, I mean, they really they pull like a, a saltwater fish, you know. Well, I mean, half halfway are. Yeah, but I think they pull harder than a you know, like say Lake Cumberland. I've caught a lot of stripers down yeah. there, and the hybrids pull harder for, for their size. For don't their, you think for their length, one hundred percent, because they probably got twice the body mm -hmm. um, that a striper does in the same length. But you know, you I don't know, you catch a forty pound striper, I got a feeling that thing's going to put on a the yes. show for it. I never have. So I think the biggest striper I've ever caught is probably low 30s, you know, and, and the hybrids we were catching yesterday probably way more mm -hmm. than a low 30 striper mm -hmm. or close to it. Yeah. And a lot of times when you're striper fishing, like on Cumberland, yeah, you're I've using... I've caught many 28, 29s and weighed them, they're 9, 10, 11 pounds. Well, yeah. you're using planer boards and um, the tackle kind of takes away from the fight for me. You know, when you're down there throwing, you got I two. I want to cast for them more. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If I could cast for stripers more and catch them more that way, I think that it would be a blast. But uh, And I'm not knocking using planer boards and trolling for them at all. It works. It, it works and it's fun. But when you have that two-ounce weight on your rod, mm -hmm. you know, and you got a planer board, it kind of takes away from you. got to pull the planer board off and get it, you know. It take takes away from your feel. Yeah, like, that's why I was talking earlier about the braid. you got a direct connection to the fish. And everything it does on the end of the line, you can feel in your hand. With a, when you're fishing with all that other stuff between you and the fish, it kind of takes away from that I feel. Agree. What you got, Lee? I want to know what you had uh, jotted down about yesterday. Well, um, I was also, um, I wrote a bunch of stuff when I got home. Um, yeah, you were jotting down notes while we were out there. Yes, I did. Um, and one of the things that there's, there's three things I remember. One... Um, if you plan to do this, you need to know the river a little bit yeah. because, you know, um, I looked at some of the aerial photos about an hour ago uh, from the 30s and 40s, and they show, uh, um, they called the area we fished the bear traps. Have you ever heard them called that? Mm -hmm. No. The, those those gates there, they, they had a, okay. the bear traps. I could see that. And then down below, you said, don't go that way. That's where the old dam is. That was a sand dike, mm -hmm. I guess, to prevent erosion on the opposite bank and to shoot that water more toward yeah. the hydro plant yeah and it's dangerous so if you go through there you can leave there's been many a lower unit oh, that's, yes. that's been lost through there she's a motor eater yes so if you're coming from new albany you need to go to that right chute yeah and go up by and, the lock chamber yes and you know that little riffle part that's you know it's deep and then shallow for just a little bit and then you just run that in the middle where they come together and you're, yeah. you're fine but if you can make a mistake down there. That was the first thing that I, that I thought of. Two, I like a, hand, a rod with a little longer handle because the way they pull, you can brace that handle against your forearm yeah. and get more leverage. That's one reason I like wearing a life jacket down there. Other than the obvious reasons is because I use that life jacket almost as a pad to rest the rod mm -hmm. against my chest. Yes. And it takes, I mean, because like, I, I sat down and took a break yesterday. My arms are tired. Yeah. You know? I, I, It'll wear you out. Um, 
Paul came by this morning and was asking about the pictures, and he said, Lee, I, I had a sore spot in my stomach. I couldn't figure it out. That's where you're jamming that rod in his guts yeah. and pulling those hybrids. He was using an inflatable life jacket with no padding. I was using an old-fashioned foam one. And I was had a camera on, and I didn't wear one, except when we were underpowered. So yeah. I, I, in the future, I would wear my little kayak. Yeah, that, something that with a little padding helps. But as far as getting up there, even, I don't know if you could describe how to get up there to somebody um you know through uh, audio you kind of need to look at a map yes. and point it out i would suggest if somebody's thinking about going down there in a boat for the first time either to go with somebody who's already done it mm -hmm. and see how they do it or to talk to somebody who's been down there and maybe get some maps drawn out for them because mm -hmm. you really need to see the route like you said there's areas down there that are pretty dangerous so um i don't want to point and say oh you just go towards the lock chamber and then shoot up through the riffle and yes. you're good because there's a little bit more to it than that. I, I think that was can. one of the things I was like, you know, uh, if you're coming down here, don't you could get in trouble pretty quick. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's it's different. And, and the third was was, you know, I've not most of my hybrids have. I think my biggest was 19 inches before yesterday. Well, you blew that away. I know. So and I was like, <laughs> wow. So this yeah. I think and the ones you catch in the lake, they just don't have that distended girth like yeah. like that big one you caught. I mean, their bellies are just full. Yeah. So they're just down there gorging all yeah. the time and growing to um it's also the thing that made me happy is you know the ohio you know has a reputation of, of you know dirty and all that and and it's good to see that that it is healing mm -hmm. you can see it i mean the water was really clear we were mm -hmm. at yesterday there was bait everywhere we caught with five species yeah. we saw bald eagles we saw osprey. egrets we saw an osprey we saw tons of uh great blue herons and waterfowl and at osprey we saw it uh been out there catching fish too. yeah it had fish in its talons when it flew yeah. over us yeah um so that kind of gave it's kind of a story of redemption and renewal yeah. which is kind of cool the water down people like I, I took a guy and his son out fishing um in midsummer and he had never been down there before and when i told him we were going to go fish the ohio river he, he he later told me that he was thinking to himself, oh boy, what are we, okay, mm -hmm. the Ohio River. Yeah. And when he was down there, he said he was amazed yeah. at, at how clean it looked. And, and I mean, you'll see trash on the bank because that's what people do. But um, That drives me nuts. I mean, we were seeing the bottom, seeing rocks, what, four or five feet deep oh, yesterday? Yeah. So it's it looks much cleaner than you'd expect it to be. Oh, it, it, it's, it's killer down there. And, and you know, also you're kind of uh, imbued with a sense of history because, you know, that, that wall may have led to a wharf. At one time, there was a that was a major shipping point for because mm -hmm. you couldn't get, you know, you that's what Louisville was founded, yeah. going around the falls. But, you know, we saw that rock wall yesterday. I think that was probably part of the old wharf complex mm -hmm. that we saw. And, and, and it's hard to believe up until the 50s, people lived on Shipping Port Island. I mean, people had houses out there and shady yeah. boats. And it's hard to believe now when you look at it. Yeah. You know, it's just hard to believe. You do get the best view of Louisville that there is down oh, yeah. there, too. I mean, and you can't believe, like Paul said on the way home, it's like you can't believe that you're a mile from downtown Louisville, but yet you're in a wilderness setting almost. Yeah. You know, it's really cool. That is also, um, we were talking about it is, a, it is a refuge. It's like a conservation area where there's no hunting. And yeah. that is that is set aside by Congress as a conservation It'd probably area. be a waterfowl hotspot if it wasn't mm -hmm. the um i think it's important probably too to tell people access to that area you know it's kayak or boat in only right now mm -hmm. um to the lower dam the upper you can walk in just fine from the indiana side and you don't need an indiana license to fish the ohio river you can do yes. it with a kentucky or an indiana license through yes, there okay. reciprocal waters and at one time you were telling me could, was there foot access to that could you walk there one that's time? what i was getting at um but because of the unrest going on in louisville they uh they have it shut off to the public 
because it's Army Corps. And, you know, honestly, that's a critical infrastructure point. So it's a high security area anyway, because mm -hmm. the dam is, you know, potentially a target. Um, so because it's a high security area, when, you know, when the unrest started, they, they said for security reasons and just to keep people, you know, safe down here, we're going to close it off. And so last year, did you ever see people who were walking in and did that place ever get crowded? Yeah, you can't walk all the way to the island that we were fishing, but you can walk over there by the hydros. Okay. And you'll see... On on the Louisville side, yeah, correct? Yeah. So you come in through Shipping Port Island there and uh, park and then just walk down. There's like a concrete pad that takes you right down next to the hydros. And when the hydros are on, they're you know, just as good as anything else. There's that moving water coming through there. Mm -hmm. Shad and bait fish stack up in there. And because they stack up, that's where the, the hybrid's going. Honestly, that area that you can access by foot over there most of the time is a hot spot for catfish too. The bottom's kind of gouged out right there on the bottom side of those hydros and there's some deep pockets that hold some really big fish. And I think that um, one of the guys who knows a lot more than I do pointed that area out and he said that's where more 70 pounders will be caught this year than anywhere else Wow! in the state. He said they'll be right there. Now the hydros probably knock those shad too like below Wolf Creek Dam. They'll get disoriented and beat up a little bit and fish harem. Well, I'd say so. And you'll see little baby Asian carp down there jumping sometimes. And, you know, I got to imagine there's all kinds of food stacked up in there. I did not see any Asian carp yesterday. Pleasantly? Yes. Pleasantly did. It was very nice. The, um, but, but I have one more thing, too. Is uh, I'm still amazed at how hard a hybrid pulls against you. My hand was sore when I got home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so be prepared, you know. I mean, I think if you put a 25-inch hybrid and tied it to a 25-inch striper, that hybrid would pull it across the river, oh, don't you think? Every time, yeah. There's no way it wouldn't. So, I mean, it's it's just a, it's amazing. I've forgotten how, how hard they are. I'm telling you, man, they're just the angriest fish. They strike hard, they hit hard, and they then... They fight you like... Yeah, they, they put everything... And they're they, mad when you land them. They're, they try yeah. like hell to get off. Yeah, you if you go to stick your thumb in one's mouth, it's going to flop around and go crazy on you. And it's bite like, you. That at, one bit you yesterday. Oh, he wouldn't let go. <laughs> The uh, but they're they're just angry, mean fish the whole time. I mean, they they hit angry, they fight angry, and then even when you got them landed, they're still angry. And their gill plates are sharp, and their spines are like needles. I mean, mm -hmm. they're um, so be careful. Just the mouth. Watch the gill plate will cut you. Yeah, Paul got cut yesterday. By oh, my fingers are torn up, man. Uh, my my uh, touch ID on my phone doesn't work anymore, which is a good thing because my fingers so roughed up like sandpaper. That, that's that's all right though. Yeah, it'll, it'll it'll heal in a few days. But yeah, I've got the cuts and stuff all over. The things you got to worry about um, when you're fishing for hybrids and or when you're using braid. First of all, I got cuts all over my thumbs from uh, the fish, and then I got cuts all over my fingers from the braid because braided line is kind of sharp. Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, that's, that's one thing that some people find a barrier, me included, yeah. is because I've had some heavy braid, then you get hung up, and my God, it's just a nightmare to try to yeah. break off. That's why when I'm fishing, like, I don't, when I'm musky fishing, or I, I don't worry about it, but if I'm downrigging for, like, say, saltwater, downrigging for sharks or rays or anything like that, I keep, uh, well, I always keep three knives on my kayak, but I keep one in my pocket, keep one on my life jacket, and I keep one on the side of my kayak. Because I'm thinking, you know, if I had 65 or 80 pound braid and a 100 pound fish on the other end and it got wrapped around my finger or my hand or mm -hmm. something like that, I'd probably want to get it cut off pretty quick. Yeah. So braid can be, um, you know, down there using 15 or 20 pound, you're going to cut your pinkies up and cut the corners of your of your pointer fingers up where you wrap it around your hand and pull it sometimes. But if you're fishing for really big fish, mm -hmm. uh, I would worry about, you know, having something to cut it if you need to. 
Always wear your life jacket, blow the dam. Yeah. Um, what are the five species we caught yesterday, Lee? Uh, we caught hybrids, Drum. white bass. Paul's white bass, that's the biggest one I've seen in years. Yeah. That thing was gigantic. There's, the picture of it turned out great. There's state record white bass swimming around down there yeah. right, right now. I agree. 100%. <laughs> but I've been told that the there are state record white bass in there. I mean, like more than one we're talking about. They say the presentation to catch them on, there's a certain time of year and it's a fly presentation. And they say that that is the ticket to catching the really big white bass. Is the time of year has passed us. I think it was like a month ago or something. But they said that that time of year, if you're on a fly presentation, you can smack some monsters. Um, so white bass, hybrid. Blue cat. Bass, blue cat, sauger, and drum. Mm -hmm. And Paul thinks he had a largemouth get off right at the bank one time too. Um, and the sauger was 19 inches. Which, which is a is, beast. For a sauger, it was just gigantic. I think that a uh, trophy sauger is like, what, 17? Mm -hmm. I think it's 17, so it blew that away. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the sauger was really nice. It's mm -hmm. going to eat really good, too. Yep. Did you eat your hybrid? Not yet, but I will. <laughs> it's uh, in the refrigerator right now. Cleaned yeah. it up first thing when I got home yesterday, and then I was so worn out by the time the dinner time came around yesterday, I said, I'm taking the easy route out today. I'm getting pizza. But um <laughs> Stacy made a pizza last night. Yep, that's that's what <laughs> sometimes I'm like, time out, pizza night. Yeah, that's an easy way out. Yeah. I don't really like fast food, but pizza for some reason doesn't count as fast food to me. I don't yeah. know. I I, I, eat, I used to eat a lot when I was young, but now I have fast food is just you know. Well today after work I'm gonna go deer hunting. And that's the next thing I want to talk about is deer hunting because it is here, if you ask me. A deer season's been in for about a month now, but this is when deer season gets just to be the, I mean, it's my favorite time to hunt coming up these next few weeks. But I'm going to go deer hunting today after work. And if I don't get a deer, then I'm going to eat the hybrid for uh, supper tonight. And if I do get a deer, then I'm probably going to have to How do you go. like to prepare your hybrids? I do them blackened. I just get turned the, the cast iron up, you know, real hot and put a, just a barely any oil How in there. How big a piece? Oh, it just depends on who I'm feeding. Yeah. That hybrid that I took home yesterday, I only kept one. But it'll, I mean, it's got four meals on it easily, maybe five or six. So I maybe. Do you cut them down or do you use the whole? No, the whole filet won't fit on my cast iron. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm talking, I'll probably end up freezing one filet and cutting. I had to cut them just to get them in a bowl to rinse them off in some water. I mean, it was a beast. And remind people of, of the. Red meat? Yes. You remind them because you're better at that than I am. Well. Um, any Maroni species. So being yellow bass, white bass, hybrids. And yellow bass doesn't have much, so you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, and striper. Um, but any of whites, hybrids, and stripers, that red meat has got to go when you when you just fillet them. Mm -hmm. Don't freeze them and think, well, I'll cut the red meat off later. No, 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 no. A friend of mine did that. I think I told this story yesterday. I've done friend that. Of mine did that. I've done that before. And uh, he invited us over, and uh, he said, man, you, you, you cut that off like before you cook it, don't you? And I was like, well, I think so, but I was, ooh. And it was really strong. Yeah. And I had to put like a quarter ounce or quarter inch of tartar sauce, take two bites and swallow it all. Yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah. It was bad. But it's easy to get off there. Yeah, just cut that out and then it's delicious. Yeah. We cube them sometimes and make like uh, stripers and then deep fry them and then like make like little almost fish poppers. Yeah. We do that all the time. And that that sounds make good. A, we make that as a little after. I think cubing them and then searing them and then put on put them on some rice would probably be good too. Mm -hmm. You know, I I just use a recipe that Chad showed me. Just a little bit of 
salt and pepper and Tony Shasheries and you know like four minutes on each side with a real Jay hot like, He loves the blackened stuff. Though. Oh, it's I love it too. And it's I mean it's pretty healthy. You don't mm -hmm. have a lot of other ingredients. Yeah, there. you don't have batter and butter. And, and, yeah. So uh, like I said though, I'm going deer hunting today, and today's probably going to be the first day that I take uh, my rattle antlers with me. Because, I mean, it's getting to be October, leaves are changing, temperatures are dropping, and this is when you can start being pretty successful calling in deer. And that's my favorite way to hunt them. Because it's almost like the anticipation. You get up there in a deer stand and you're deer hunting, most of the time it's just a waiting game. But when, you, when you're calling, you, it's like you almost expect, okay, in the next five minutes, in mm -hmm. the next ten minutes, it's going to be here. And it gives you, it's a little bit more of an adrenaline rush. And then when you finally do hear, after you call, you rattle or you grunt, and you're sitting there and it's been quiet for about three or four minutes and then you start hearing leaves crunching coming towards you. I mean, your heart gets pounding. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, so it's my favorite way to deer hunt and it's it's starting right now, if you ask me. And, uh, you know, it might not be super productive this time of year, but as we get closer and closer to rut, it's just going to keep getting better and better. I'm hearing acorns fall all over. Are yeah, you hearing them yet? There's acorns on the ground and that's that was the other thing I was going to say was uh, if you got oaks, focus on them, you know, because that's what the deer are going to want to eat right now. People put out mineral block, like one of my buddies put out a mineral block um, two or three weeks ago. And he said, man, this thing doesn't work at all. He just won't even touch it. And I was like, Scott, you, wrong time of year. You know, they're looking for minerals in the spring and in the summer. And right now they're looking for fat. Mm -hmm. They're looking to fatten up before winter comes and put on as much weight as they can. So it's those fatty food sources. Like, I mean, if you got a cornfield or you got acorns are great, really high in fat. So... It's those fatty food sources they're looking for, and acorns are about the, as good as it gets. So I would say focus on the oaks and acorns, and then um, don't be afraid to break out a grunt call or some rattle antlers and, and make a little noise. One, because it's more fun. Two, because it can be extremely productive. But I did want to like, say somebody hasn't rattled or grunted or tried to call in deer a lot. I was just going to talk briefly about mm -hmm. you know what I would suggest, because you can overdo it. and um, uh, That's with any calling. Yeah. Less is more. So I always take my grunt call to the woods. And uh, I'll, so like, here's a tip. Sometimes I'll get up in the stand and I'll be settling in and I'll drop my binoculars out or my uh, drop a, something out of my stand and it'll make noise down below me. First thing I do is pull out my grunt call and make a, a grunt sound. Mm -hmm. So maybe those deer hear, or they heard that noise and they're looking over there wondering what that was and then they hear a grunt call and maybe they, it just puts them at ease, I don't know. So I use it to cover my own tracks a little bit. I don't know if that works or not, but um. My sequence that I like to use is a lot of times I'll, I'll get in there and I'll be watching my watch and I'll say, okay, it's a hour and 15 minutes until dark. And so that's when I'll start thinking about, cause that's when deer are going to be starting to get up on their feet and starting to move. And, and I'll usually do a grunt, do a couple grunts, you know, and then I'll wait five or 10 minutes in case there was something close. It'll probably hear the, that grunt call and come in. But then if something doesn't come in within the first 10 minutes, I'm thinking, okay, nothing that's going to respond was close. I'm going to make a little more noise. And then I'll pick up my rattle antlers and I'll do probably a 30 second rattle set. Nothing too crazy, just enough so they can hear it and listen to it for a second and make up their mind whether or not they want to check it out. I usually plan on my rattle antlers reaching 250 yards, 200 yards or so. And I'll do that. And then I will sit there and I'll wait high anticipation for about 30 minutes. And then at that point, if nothing's come in, I think they probably weren't interested or they didn't hear it. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm looking at um, half an hour before dark, 35 minutes before dark, because I started that sequence before, 40 minutes before I've, I'm now sitting there, right? And I'm thinking 30 minutes before dark or so, 
prime time. Time to do it again because there's a chance deer on their feet and they're moving around and one might hear it now that didn't hear it then. Mm -hmm. So I'll do the grunt call again, wait about five minutes, do the rattle set again. And, that, and then, you know, I'm sitting there with a freshly called area in prime time leading up to dark. So that's kind of my go-to. I try to rattle and grunt at two different sequences while I'm hunting once about an hour before dark and once about half an hour before dark. And that way I don't think I'm overdoing it. I'm not just out there rattling nonstop mm -hmm. the whole time. You know, for the most part, the woods are quiet, but I'm also, you know, doing it at the right times to give myself the best opportunity to catch something moving or catch something right before dark when it wants to get up and come in anyway. So that's kind of my tip on, on run, grunting and rattling. I'd say if you looked on the internet, there's probably a million articles out there about the best way to do it. Mm -hmm. That might not be what everybody thinks, but that's kind of what I feel comfortable with. And it works for me. I mean, the majority of the bucks I killed have come into a grunt call or come into the rattle antler, so. And one thing that's happened with, with the rattling antlers sometimes, though, is know your territory. Because yeah. uh, rookies, there have been some incidents where people have heard those. And I just, yeah. There's yeah. a guy I remember a couple of years ago got shot in the neck. That just seems that's, that's well, he, had, he had his antlers around his he neck. was wearing brown like yeah. brown car hearts had his antlers around his neck and uh his inexperienced buddy shot him through Did the he neck. not have a hunter orange on no well that's a the mistake right there mm -hmm. inexperienced buddies made a huge mistake there that's ridiculous sounding. Yeah, but a lot of, i tell you what a lot of people think you only have to wear it when you're near your car away you have to have it on all the time you yeah. don't take it off when you're, I think it, he may have had it on earlier, but when, at that time, when you're out in the stand, a lot of people take it off. Man, those deer don't care about hunter wings in a tree. Yeah. Trust me, they do not care one bit about, it's all about movement. And you could be sitting there wearing a, a prison outfit, you know, orange head to toe. Mm -hmm. They aren't going to care as long as you're not moving around a whole bunch. Mm -hmm. It's all about scent. Scent's the number one thing with deer. You know, you got to know your wind because that's the only way you can beat them. I don't care about any scent killer products you read about or use. I mean, if you're breathing, you're putting scent in there. Mm -hmm. So it's all about the wind. And then the second thing's movement, because that's what they key in on. They, I don't think they care a bit about color. Isn't camo mainly to break up your outline, not make you blend in, just to break up the outline of your yeah. body? Yeah, that's all it is. And they're colorblind, too. So that's why the, the 70s camo that looks, you know, still works. Yeah, my favorite camo is... Uh, the stuff that is kind of in focus and out of focus, like you might have a couple of leaves that are in sharp, mm -hmm. good focus, and then the background looks kind of like blurry tree mm -hmm. branches or something, because I think that confuses them even more. They're not just looking at, at blotches, they're looking, they feel like there's depth there. You know, I, that might just be a theory, but I really like that camo that has depth built in. Mm -hmm. But then again, I also think you could wear a plaid shirt out there and kill them just well, as easy. I was growing up, that's what people wore. I mean, mm. They'd wear blue jeans and a tan shirt or blue, I mean, they, I mean to a buffalo plaid shirt. And they, you know, to a, many, to many a deer. colorblind animal, a plaid shirt is camo. Yeah. I mean, you're trying to break up the silhouette. and I'm, Yeah, that's, I don't worry too much about camo. I don't even know what's in my car, what I'm going to wear today. I've got a bag in there. I probably, I definitely always put on a face mask and some gloves to help with the mosquitoes, but. What know. are your thoughts of putting like leaves and dirt and stuff in your in your bag and putting your clothes for a couple of days? In there, like so. I said, if you're breathing, you're putting scent in there. Yeah. I've never gone hunting one time where I wasn't breathing. So yeah. Yeah, I didn't, and there's a lot of products. I think a lot of it's sales gimmicks, Yeah. you know? And I, I mean, I have spray in my car. I spray my clothes down with it, but I don't count on that. I don't think it's gonna work. You know, it's just kind of, if I'm, Okay, here's where it's I insurance. Well, here's where I think it comes in handy. If I wash my clothes in the scent-free detergent 
and then I use some scent killer spray on them. When I'm walking to and from my stand, I'm brushing up against leaves and grass. I'm probably not putting as much scent out there in the environment as I would be. But when I'm in my stand hunting, if a deer gets downwind to me, I'm going to count on it smelling me because mm -hmm. I'm up there. 90% of your scent comes out of your mouth and nose anyway. So even if you did everything right with scent killer products, you're still putting 90% of your scent into there. Especially if you had onions <laughs> yeah. on your yeah. sandwich at lunch. <laughs> now, like there's a, like we've had Scott Croom on the podcast before, and mm -hmm. I think he, he agrees with what I'm saying about the scent killer stuff. But he also tells me that with during deer season, he switches to a vegetarian diet so he doesn't seem like a predator. <laughs> so there's different stereotypes. Everybody has different stereotypes. Now, he fishes down there at the Lower Falls a lot. Yeah, he? yeah, Scott's good. And speaking of Scott, I wanted to preview a little bit about what's coming up on the show. And uh, I don't know if, if people listen to the podcast or uh, fans of the Kentucky Field Facebook page or Instagram page, but Chad shot a nice buck the other day on camera and uh he made a a good shot on it but for some reason there was an issue with the broadheads he's using mechanical broadheads i think he hit the shoulder blade and um i don't think it opened up right or the blades broke off i'm not sure because with the shot he made on this animal it should not have gone as far as it did but they made the decision to back out when they were tracking it and go back the next morning and scott Kroom's wife rachel Kroom, who's been mm -hmm. on the podcast several times before yeah. Um, has a four and a half month old wired, ha wired haired, wire haired dachshund that, um, or Dotson, I'm sorry, that she's training to be a, a deer tracking dog. And I think it found four deer before this already being four and a half months old. That's pretty good. No doubt. But we brought this dog out there and, uh, we were like, all right, we can show you where the last blood was. Rachel says, oh no, she needs to find the, the track on her own. We need to let her find it on her own. So we let the dog mosey around up there and and eventually locate the blood trail and this dog starts going down the blood trail and it's crossing creeks and i mean this dog is weighs seven pounds it's, it's the size of my water bottle right here <laughs> so it's kind of funny watching it i've seen you I've heard, she, she's told me about it oh yeah and then uh i talked to chad after the fact and, and he said they got up to this one spot and they they saw some blood and chad was standing there and, and he says he thinks he the deer took off into these woods over here and the dog cuts off and it's going up this hill and Chad, he said he didn't think the dog was right. He he thought it was on to something else. And um, he said they got about 150 yards up that way, and Chad just still standing there on the blood thinking, all right, well, they'll come back here in a minute, and we'll go this way. And Rachel's like, got it. And Chad's like, you got blood? And she said, no, I got your deer. <laughs> so so uh, that dog, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the footage of that dog work. Because mm -hmm. I, I got to be there for the beginning of it, but I had to take off before they found the deer. And so I didn't actually get to see the dog working, but Chad, he just spoke as highly as possible of it. He said it was amazing watching it because you couldn't see blood anywhere, but that dog just trucking right on through. That's awesome. Yeah, I want to, and I mean, they let it sit overnight and it was really dewy out. It had rained the day before, so there was moisture on the ground. I would like to see that that dog work. And it's kind of funny too, being that it's a little Dotson and not a, you know, a golden retriever or a lab <laughs> or, you know, so what you'd normally think of. But I mean, those Dotsons are made to be tracking dogs. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why they're low to the ground and they have hound-like ears, I mean, that cup scent into yep. their nose. And, I mean, a lot of people use them for that and for, I mean, I would say probably, um, what's the thing that people look for? Trussles? Truffles? Truffles. Truffles. Like, I mean, maybe they could find truffles. I don't mm -hmm. know, but... but I, that's fun to watch those dogs find truffles. If that's something pretty. is on the ground, the Dotson's about as close to the ground as you no can doubt. get, so... But it's uh, it should be a really fun piece. That'll come up here in a few weeks. Like I said, that just happened like two days ago. 
And then um, this weekend show, we have our archery elk hunt. Spot and stalk hunting mm -hmm. with uh, a bow and arrow for bull elk. It's pretty fun. And yeah, that, I saw some footage there. Me. That's one that I did get to film. So uh, that's coming up on this weekend show. People should tune into that too. No doubt. And Lee, the last two, the last thing I wanted to do before we call it quits, unless you got something else. Um. Oh. Yeah. We already covered it. I was like, make sure you wear your PFD when you're out there on that river. Yeah, definitely. That's yeah. When you're when you're under power. The uh, so what's coming up right now? Youth season is pretty much a week away. Start Saturday the 10th, mm -hmm. and that's a, I mean, I remember the first buck I ever took was during youth weekend when I was 12. You know, I'd killed a deer with my bow the year before, but uh, I still remember being out there in a hay bale blind with my grandpa, and, uh, you know, he he snoozed off. He was sleeping over there, and I was I was staying, and I'd, I, at that point, I was already a more experienced deer hunter than he was. He didn't deer hunt, but uh, he was my, you know, mm -hmm. doll that was with me. He was snoozing over there, and I, I was looking, and this buck walked out, and I thought, okay, I'm gonna, I don't want to wake Grandpa up though, so I'm just gonna go ahead and shoot him. <laughs> yeah. I think that might wake him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I woke him up. <laughs> but um, that was the first buck I ever took, and that was youth weekend, and I think a lot of people probably remember their first deer or first buck, or it's, uh, some experience hunting being during youth weekend if they mm -hmm. got started when they were young enough. So it's a good, good time to get somebody out there, and you got the woods to yourself. You know, I mean, crossbow hunters and archery hunters, but. It's not like the Orange Army's out in full force. Yes. You know, it's a good time. Deer movement's picking up. It's a fairly comfortable outside. It's mm -hmm. not like it's... it's awesome. Yesterday, was the weather was just fantastic. Yeah, it's not like it's 20 degrees yet. Mm -hmm. So youth weekend, in my opinion, is is time just perfect. I mean, it's beautiful outside. The weather's good, and it's not too crowded. There's mm -hmm. not a lot of people to worry about. So it's, it's a great time to get somebody out there. So I'd encourage that. And then the very next weekend, starting the 17th and the 18th, are... Uh, is our youth, or is it not our youth, is our early muzzle well, season. Yes. So my, my brother loves it. Things are starting to pick up out there. But, you know, one of the things yesterday, I meant to, I, I meant to say this earlier, and then I, uh, being down there brought back so many memories, because my grandfather thought the falls, he grew up kind of close there, but he lived, uh, he lost his house in the 37 flood. It was right there where Jeff Boat is now. So he has a very intimate relationship with the falls. And he took me down there. I've spent so many days yeah. at the falls, the upper falls. What's Jeff Boat? Uh, Jeff Boat is a... It's on the Jeffersonville side of the river. That at one time, I believe that's been shuttered now, built some of the biggest barges and navigation boats in the world. It was okay. a major shipbuilder. Okay. So and his a, house was there in the thirty seven flood, wiped it out. I was gonna say I know that the uh, river boat is no longer there. Mm -hmm. That's what I was saying. Jeff boat, I was wondering. No, no, that that was a boat manufacturing place. Okay. The yeah, river but, boat apparently went upstream about a month ago. Really? Locked through and shipped on up to Cincinnati or Pittsburgh or somewhere. I don't know, but now that uh you know, I guess the the casino over there in Indiana is is got it all going now. I guess they got rid of the boat. Oh, okay. Was so, it because they they can do land now? Yeah. So the boat's no longer there. Hmm. No, I mean I'd been to that boat once in my entire life. So <laughs> I've been in one casino in my whole life. Yeah, now, that's it. I wish I could say that about racetracks, but I have been to one. Casino. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, all right, Lee. Well, I don't have anything else. I just wanted to get those last couple of things out of there. Had fun fishing with you yesterday. Oh, that was a ball. Yeah, it well, was great. I can't, I'll tell you what's going to happen. We're going to walk out of this room, and Jameson's going to ask us if we want to go down there again sometime yeah. with him because he's already, he's already talked to me about it. But I mean, it's one of those things that. Well, I, I always could use more pictures, so I'd, I'd be up for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, he can almost count on me putting my kayak in again sometime soon. So yeah. I'll be over there. I'll be over there again soon. Man. And and it wasn't that uncomfortable wet leg, and it was a little cool, but you could still no, wet leg. No, when I, we pulled up to the island, I jumped out of the boat mm -hmm. and went, you know, over my knees in water to um, to help get the anchor out. 
And uh, I mean, honestly, the water was comfortable. Yeah, it was. The water temperature was in the 70s. The air temperature was high 40s when we were out there. It was almost like jumping in a sauna when I, I jumped know. in the water. It, it, but, but it warmed up quickly. Yeah. It got really nice. Well, anyway, Lee, I appreciate it. Um, right now, I'm pretty much just picking, am I hunting or fishing today based on the wind direction? If i got a good wind to hunt, I'm hunting. If I don't, I'm fishing. Oh, um, so that's another thing. No, no, hush. Yesterday, it was four feet. The the one the, the gate nearest us was at five feet. Well, and so it started off at five feet total. So okay. the way the way they measure that is they just add all the gates up together. Okay. So um, there's four gates, and when we originally pulled up, the it was five feet, and what they had was two feet open on one gate, and then one foot open on the other three, which adds up to five. Okay. And then while we were there, they shut the one to Damn. one. Yeah, they shut it to one. So then it was one foot on all four gates, which is four feet. So. What's your favorite levels? Oh, it just depends. I mean, it all, so sometimes they'll say, we, today we're running 22 feet of dam, seven feet on the upper and 14 feet on the lower. You know what I mean? Yeah, so that, it just- That would be blown out, correct. Com completely very. Sometimes they're running 15 feet on the upper and three feet on the lower, you know? Really, you gotta call. I have a number saved in my phone as McAlpin and you, you call them and they give you an update. So just one second here, Lee, I'll, I'll show you. Because that's that's one thing that that's important yeah. for people. Now to you know. can check the if you Google uh, McAlpin water info. There's a there's a number you can call, and uh, when you call, I'll just do it. This is what it sounds like. So I'll call, I'll call McAlpin right now. In a second. Hello, this is McAlpine Life and Dam, 10 a.m. reading, uh, Friday, October 2nd, 2020. The yeah. upper gauge is 12.8. The lower gauge is 11.0. We are currently running four feet of, of dam, zero on the upper site, four on the lower site. The hydro plant is So what they do there is they tell you the pool depth for the upper mm -hmm. and then for the lower. And then they tell you we're running four feet of dam, none on the upper, four on the lower. So when you call, they'll say, we're running 22 feet of dam, this much on the upper, this much on the lower. And once you go down there and you get a little bit of experience with what that means for each dam, that helps you decide where the fish are going to be. Mm -hmm. But I would I would call that number and see because uh, if they What's say your upper limit before that's no good on the lower yeah nine ten have you fished it at that yeah yeah from the shore there from where we landed yeah see that's where you, the, the the depth of the river the height of the river has a lot to do with both dams so if they're running nothing on the upper and nine on the lower the island's still fine if they were running ten on the upper and nine on the lower then the island you know it's blown out. Yeah, you kind of get to get down there and experience it. But I would call that number and get an update because they're going to tell you exactly what it's sitting at. So right now, as of 10, they do the updates at 6 a.m., 10 a.m., and 2 p.m. And so they give you updates, and then 6 p.m., I believe. They give you updates throughout the day. So if you just call before you go, you'll know if it's good or not. And four feet is perfectly fine. That's about as low as you'll get it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's a, good, that's a good tip. I'm glad you asked that. Yeah. All right, Lee, let's call it. Okay. Everybody have a good weekend. Take it easy. Appreciate it, Lee. Mm -hmm.